0: You can leave us a one-time gift or set up a recurring general donation. Thank you for your support. And now, let's begin today's message. With that said, we're going to be looking today at Mark 16, verses 19 and 20. And I'm actually going to be taking you to the Gospel of Luke to fill in because there are things that are in Luke chapter 24 that I believe are filling in some of the things that have been left out of Mark's gospel. So allow me to read to you here in Mark chapter 16 at verse 19. I'll read verses 19 and 20, and then I'm going to have us turn over in a few minutes. I'll have us turn over to, uh, to Luke chapter 24. But I'll begin by reading verses 19 and 20 here in Mark chapter 16. Mark writes, So then after the Lord had spoken to them, He was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. And so in our last study, what we looked at was what has been referred to as the Great Commission. We saw in verse 15 here in chapter 16... How Jesus had said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Well, Matthew included the command to make disciples. He said, teaching them to observe all things that Jesus had commanded them. We need to remember as we begin that in the Old Testament, the people would come to the temple. Uh, males of a certain age were all required to go to temple when they were able Uh, go to the temple when they were able to do, three times a year. So there were, were requirements for them to go into Jerusalem to come to temple. Well, in the New Testament, the temple of the Spirit goes out to the people. They would be compelled, Jesus was saying, to go into the world to preach this gospel. And as I mentioned, when they went and where they went and while they went, they had a task, and the task was to make disciples. They were to make lifelong followers of Jesus Christ. Now, why would they go into the world to preach the gospel? They did that because they had a message, a message of salvation and a message of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Paul, when he was speaking about it in Romans chapter 1, said in verse 16, "'I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. "'It is a power of God to salvation "'for everyone who believes.'" For the Jew first, and also, he says, for the Greek. When he was writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1.18, he said the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, he says, it is the power of God. So they're to go into the world to preach the gospel. It's a message of salvation and forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. And so we preach because Jesus' word will give life. It gives life to the spiritually dead. In John 5, 24 and 25, Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. So the word of God brings life to the spiritually dead. Now, he said, go out into the world, preach the gospel, making disciples. So they're going to become disciples, followers of Christ, lifelong followers of Christ through the teaching. So they were taught, and their faith was revealed because they obeyed what they were being taught. You see, it's by the correct teaching and application of Scripture that a believer in Jesus Christ is actually going to grow spiritually If correct teaching is occurring, the disciples will accept and practice it, and that's how they will come to maturity. That's how they're going to grow, and they're going to do this in a spiritual way. It's taught in seminaries that people will not endure long sermons. I was looking this up, and I wanted to see what is the length or the average length that seminarians, that those who are going through seminary, and incidentally, the the greater number of people who have, have uh, attended or are attending seminaries today, the greater percentage is women and not men, which I find very interesting. Now, the men are not following a call or receiving a call, apparently, or at least acting on it. But they're being taught in many seminaries. And I looked this up to see, um, you know, what the average is, because I had heard in the, in the past a certain, a certain amount of minutes. And so I looked this up just to see what the recent kind of information is on this. And I read that the average message that you'll get on a Sunday morning, the average message is anywhere from 20 to 28 minutes. Now, how many hours do we live throughout the week to come to a fellowship to receive teaching, and that teaching is 20 minutes long or 28 minutes long? And, and they're saying, they're telling the young students, the seminarians, they're telling them that uh, the people will not put up with long doctrine teaching, they will not listen to it. So what you need to do is you need to begin to shorten the messages because of the, the, uh, the inability for people to listen in a long time due to the fact that many are caught up with the social media and, and various things like that. Their attention span has been constricted to maybe 20 minutes. Well, I, I think that that is, is uh, absolute nonsense, to be honest with you. I really believe it's an insult. It's an insult to people who actually have a hunger for Jesus Christ. If a person is hungry for the things of the Lord, 20 minutes isn't even an appetizer. Now, you might find this interesting. Some of you already know this. But when Pastor Chuck was teaching Bible studies, Chuck would teach for an hour and a half. It gave me a good amount of time to sleep. But he he taught for an hour and a half, you know, and that that's basically... What, what I and a lot of younger men at that time and young believers at that time, that's what we would, we would be used to, a, an hour Bible study or whatever. And even after that, even after going to church and receiving, you know, church service and receiving teaching, we would go to a, a home afterwards and we would, we would uh, talk about what we had been taught, and then we would pray and we would worship the Lord because we were hungry. We wanted to know what Jesus had to say. And so it's an insult to a person who is hungry to say you can get as much as you need for an entire week in 20 minutes, even 28 minutes. And that's just, I believe, uh, it's just wrong. It's an insult to a believer. It also diminishes the power of the Word of God in our lives. Somebody said the better a person understands the Word of God, the more they will grow spiritually. How is it then that we think we can grow more with a decreased appetite for God's Word? So the lack of appetite for the Word of God reveals a person's spiritual hunger. That's why Peter exhorted believers to hunger for the Word. In 1 Peter 2, verse 2, he said, "...like newborn babies..." Thirst for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in your salvation. That by it you may grow up. By by it you may increase in your understanding. So like a newborn baby desires milk, you ought to desire God's word. Every mother here knows that if you're a nursing mother, every, every nursing mother knows that when the baby does not want to drink milk, there's something wrong. There's something wrong with the baby. My daughter, Corinne, loved mama's milk. I can still remember she was a newborn. I can still remember Marie was downstairs in a little apartment that we had in Roland Heights, and, and I was going to work. I only worked about seven minutes away, so I still remember Marie was there laying down on, on, the, on our couch in our little front room nursing Corinne. I went to work, and work, again, was only a few minutes away. So I came home for lunch. I came home four four and a half hours later, and Marie was still there. She was still nursing. It was like a spider had attached to her, and her whole body was withered up. But I remember looking at her. So she, she goes, she won't let go. She won't let go. And she says, watch. And she moves Corinne's head, and Marie goes, and, and Corinne goes, ah! Starts so screaming. She latches her back. So it's amazing. So there was nothing wrong with Corinne. Um, She was hungry. Babies and wanted mama. Babies demonstrate that, don't they? And like a newborn baby desires the pure milk of the word, you're to desire, I'm to desire his word, why? That I may grow spiritually. That's how I'm going to grow. So the lack of appetite reveals that I have little appetite, may even be spiritually, if you will, spiritually sick. So with that said, pastors have the responsibility of teaching the Word of God. That's what our responsibility is. Why? So that we might help people to become disciples. Remember how Jesus had told Simon Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. Well, in the Old Testament, God had given a promise to the people of Israel in Jeremiah in chapter 3, verse 15. God had said, I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. I will give you shepherds who have a heart like mine, who want to pursue mine, who are going to feed you with knowledge and understanding, not only the information, but information that has come through them to you by an experiential knowledge and experience with God that helps them to have that understanding so they can communicate. And God said, these people are a gift to you. In the New Testament, Paul spoke of God's gifts to the church in Ephesians 4, and in verses 11 and 12, uh, Paul said, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. When he said he's giving you these shepherds who are going to equip you, I mentioned to you before that the Greek word that is translated in Ephesians 4, that uh, is translated equipping, is the same word that is used in Mark's gospel when it speaks concerning the, the apostles mending their nets. And so it's the same word. Mending and equipping is the same Greek word. And so the purpose of the word of God is to mend you. The purpose of the word of God is to make you capable of doing service as unto the Lord. It's for the work of ministry. God's word heals you. God's word works within you. God's word transforms you so that you're capable of doing the work that God has called you to do. What is that? To build up the body of Christ. So the calling of the pastor is to equip the church in the ways of the Lord. And every minister of the word of God desires people to hunger for the Lord Jesus Christ and his word, as well as to walk in his spirit. Now, that's the heart of the Great Commission, to make disciples by teaching. And that, as I mentioned before, is what produces effective evangelism. Why? Because healthy sheep beget sheep. So, here Mark is speaking, and he's beginning to close. And he says in verse 19, in verse uh, uh, of chapter 16, he said, After the Lord had spoken to them... He was received up into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. And he goes on to say, amen. So the Lord has spoken to them, and he's received up. Now, again, this is a brief summarization to get a more full experience. Let's turn our Bibles, if you will, to Luke's gospel. I want to take you to chapter 24, And I want to share a few things with you from Luke chapter 24. If you'd like to turn your Bibles there, that would be fine. If you don't, then wait just a moment until other people who are more spiritual than you do so. (laughs) Let me read to you out of Luke 24, and I'll read verses 46 through 53, because we're going to be looking at that. Luke writes, Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high." And he led them out as far as Bethany. He lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. They worshipped him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. And he closes with the word, so be it, or amen. Now it says, thus it is written, notice that in verse 14. 46, he said to them, thus it is written. And so he's actually uh, speaking concerning uh, the Scriptures, obviously, but remember that if you were to look back a few Scriptures here in Luke, he had opened their understanding in, in a previous time before this, but in a previous time, to comprehend the Scripture. And the fact is, unless he does so, they would remain in spiritual ignorance, See, without the Holy Spirit sharing with you or or informing you or teaching you, without the Holy Spirit working within you, then the words that God is saying to you uh, are are not going to be comprehended. In 1 Corinthians 2 verse 12, it says, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. It takes the Holy Spirit, and I'll be developing this a bit further with you in a moment, but it takes the Holy Spirit to take that which is printed here or that which is spoken and to impart to us understanding. It takes the Spirit of God to do that. If you don't have the Spirit of God doing that, you're going to remain, I will remain, we would remain spiritually ignorant or spiritually in darkness. So it takes the Holy Spirit to do that. Uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 2.14, it said, the natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. And so, unless the Holy Spirit awakens us and imparts to us understanding, we won't understand at all. It's like when Jesus is there at Caesarea Philippi, and uh, he asks who to men say, say that I, the Son of Man, am. And and the apostle Peter says, you know, some say John, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And Jesus speaks to him and says to him, "Blessed are you, are you Simon Barjona? Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father in heaven." See, so it takes spiritual awakening. It takes the Holy Spirit, because if the Holy Spirit isn't awakening to you, these words mean nothing to you. Remember in John seven? Do you remember how how that Jesus is own brothers his physical brothers who were born of Mary um, spoke to him and and said, if you want to really be known you have to go to Jerusalem and all of that no prophet is going to be accepted if he doesn't go there but John goes on to say even his brothers did not believe in him they didn't believe in him how can you how can you even fathom that? I was speaking to someone just this morning about that just in between service and I said, can you imagine living in the home with a perfect person? I mean, nobody does that except my wife. I mean, but think about that for a minute. (laughs) Growing up with the perfect brother. His brothers grew up in the same home with him. He never disobeyed, never talked back, never did anything, He could could point to people and say, which of you can convict me of sin and not a single person could? Nobody could. His brothers couldn't. His mother couldn't. Nobody could. Jesus had no sin. So how do you live in a home with a perfect person and still not know who that person is? Because it takes the Holy Spirit to awaken us to who He is. It takes the Spirit of God to know. And so, in the proclamation of the message, we give the message, but it takes the Spirit of God to convict the hearts of people. And so, Jesus had opened up their understanding earlier that they might comprehend Scripture. And so, he says in verse 46, he says, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And so he's he's emphasizing something. He's opening up their understanding even further. And he's saying what has taken place is built on the prophecies that had been given. And he emphasizes the various things which make up the message of the gospel. It was necessary for Messiah to suffer. In other words, to be tortured and die on a cross. It was necessary for Messiah to rise. Speaking of the resurrection, it's necessary that repentance and remission of sins is preached. These are the necessities. You go forth and you proclaim these things. Jesus Christ fulfilled Scripture. He was crucified and he died. He was buried, but he was raised the third day. That's the essence of the proclamation of the message of the gospel. And so these things were necessary. Now, I want you to see that it's necessary that repentance and remission of sins is preached. Sometimes in gospel messages that you might hear, and I've heard gospel messages proclaimed many times, obviously, over the years, sometimes... An invitation is given, but there's no call of there's no one, there's no proclamation of the gospel. It's more of a are you feeling bad, you're feeling down, you're feeling out, you're feeling unloved. Well, come to Jesus, he'll fix you up. That's not that's not preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel will always include a call for repentance. Always. All the way back in chapter one here in the Gospel of Mark at verse 15. The Bible speaks concerning Jesus' message. You see, Jesus had already been baptized. He's already been ba- uh, rather tempted. And, and John, the Baptist, has already been put in prison. And then in Mark 1:15, uh, Mark writes that Jesus said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Then he goes on to say this, repent and believe in the gospel. Now, when we speak of repenting, It's been said that the word repent is the first word of the gospel. The word repent is a Greek word, um, metanoia. It speaks of a change of mind. And uh, it would infer not only is the mind changed, but in the preaching of repentance, there'll be a turning. Erdman's Bible Dictionary uh, defines uh, repentance in this way. In its fullest sense, it is a term for a complete change of orientation. Involving a judgment upon the past and a deliberate redirection for the future. And so the evidence of genuine repentance is a permanent change of direction. There are those who've gotten through some, gotten into some real, real problems. They've had some real difficulties. And, and so they think, well, I'll give God a try, I'll give him a chance. God isn't on trial you don't give him a chance what he's doing is giving us an opportunity so if i say i'm going to give him a shot i'm misunderstanding what his call for me is his call for me is not to just give him a try his call for me is to repent that's what jesus said change your mind and as a result you will change your direction so when genuine repentance occurs that's when complete forgiveness is received so for us to have our sins completely forgiven requires repentance and repentance this message is is one of uh, of warning as well as hope the warning speaks of judgment to come but the hope is salvation through Jesus Christ and so it's it's this message of love and grace that is intended to go throughout the earth it's it's to be worldwide notice verse 47 a repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem so it's to go throughout the world beginning at Jerusalem and that's something that every believer does by the way when i got saved a long time ago now that was what was imparted to me that was imparted to all the members if you will of of the jesus revolution that that was just something we were we were taught from the beginning. Whatever you've received, tell somebody else. Take whatever you have gotten and give it to somebody else. Tell other people about Jesus Christ. That was the first order. That was our marching orders. And that's why they called us Jesus freaks. That's why they they spoke about us in the way they did And And by the way, the church itself was not necessarily, the church at large during that time, was not necessarily thrilled at what was taking place. As a matter of fact, uh, we were we were actually kind of, discarded in many ways, because when we came to Christ, you know, I, I, yeah, I was a hippie. Our hair was long, and, and many of us came out of alcohol and drug and, and, and promiscuity and everything that went along with that, and then and, and now we're running around barefooted still, long hair still, and wild-eyed, but this time for Christ, and, and the church at large had a real problem. There was a particular church, I'll never forget, it was in another state, but they had on staff, this is a true story, believe it or not, they had on staff a barber so that when people got saved, they would come forward at the invitation, and they'd look to see if their hair was short enough. And if it wasn't, they took them in the back in the follow-up and cut their hair. Can you imagine that? Because everybody knows that Jesus had very short hair and wore a suit and tied to church. Everybody knows that. I mean, what's wrong with you if you don't believe that? But that, that's what made us what we are. That, that's why people like me still to this day wear a suit for certain occasions. Very few. Because, believe it or not, you're looking at an old hippie who just cuts his hair now. My heart is still like, well, yeah, whatever. But repentance, we were taught that because we knew if you get somebody's heart, their whole life will change. And we looked, there was a song we used to sing, looking past the hair straight into the eyes. Because we looked at people as those in need of Jesus Christ. I didn't go into the business of trying to get people to not get a tattoo and, and not pierce themselves. And that, that wasn't my, that's, that's not my call. You know, and I've seen, you know, see, you have to understand that there was a time when tattoos, only, only criminals and sailors, which to me is the same thing, uh, just kidding. But only criminals, sailors, and people, you know, in prison had tattoos. And then, then people started getting tattoos. And, and before you know it, they're tatting everywhere, tatting their back and lower backs and stuff. And, and oh, look at that. They used to call them, I don't know what they call them today, tramp stamps. They used to call them. <laughs> look at that tramp stamp. And they put a bird on their back, you know, a little hummingbird, right? And I've said this before. Be aware of it, because that hummingbird in 20 years is a vulture. <laughs> I'll get back to the study. Anyway, this, this message of loving grace is to reach all the ends of the earth. It, it harkens back all the way to Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, when God made a promise to Abram, later known as Abraham, he had said in Genesis 12:3, "I will bless those who bless you, whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you." So this message is to go throughout the world beginning at Jerusalem, and that's why we as a church have done evangelism outreaches for all the years of the history of our fellowship. We continue doing so. We send teams out in various ways throughout the world, throughout the neighborhood, throughout the parks and all to take the gospel. And myself, even as a pastor of this church, I, I still get opportunities. I'll be going to Mexico in, in a, a few weeks to, to go and share with, uh, with the church and with pastors. Uh, going to New Mexico uh, also. I'll be going to San Jose. I was invited to go to speak in San Jose at Calvary Chapel. Uh, to kind of share about the uh, Jesus movement and all, going to Mexicali, going to various places to preach the gospel. We continue to do that. We're to be witnesses. And, and that's what he's saying in verse 48. You are witnesses of these things. You are witnesses of these things. The word witness speaks of an eyewitness. You are someone who can report, report firsthand. You don't give what you don't have. You give what you have. Now, all the way back at the beginning of the gospel as it was going forth, when John was writing, the Apostle John was writing First John, his epistle, he said this. This is how he introduced it as he's speaking of eyewitnesses. In 1 John 1, verses 1 through 3, he wrote, "...that which was from the beginning, which we heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled." concerning the word of life. The life was manifested. We have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. He was speaking as an eyewitness you speak of that which you've experienced. And so you're to be witnesses, he says. You're to be witnesses of his works. You are witnesses of his teachings. You are witnesses of his resurrection. Now, Judas, as we know, had fallen. He had betrayed Christ, ultimately had committed suicide. That had left the 12 as the 11. Now, ultimately, they replaced Judas, and Judas's replacement actually had to meet a certain qualification. In Acts 1, 21 and 22, the replacement must have accompanied us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they were going to be out there witnessing these things, his works, his teachings, his resurrection. And so Jesus is saying that to them, you are witnesses, you are eyewitnesses of these things. Now, they're going to encounter spiritual and physical obstacles. They're going to need power to overcome these things. And so in verse 49, he says, behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power From on high, you are going to be opposed. It's going to happen. Maybe not immediately, but it will. So I'm sending what is called the promise. That word promise is a a Greek word that is an, an announcement of guaranteed divine assurance for good. So the sending of the Spirit is for the good of those whom God loves. And this is a promise that is found in the Old Testament. For example, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 44, verse 3, I will pour water upon him who is thirsty, floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your seed, my blessing upon your offspring. Joel chapter 2, 28 and 29, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy your old men shall dream dreams. I've been dreaming a lot lately. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So it's a promise you find in the Old Testament. And Jesus is about to fulfill the promise. He's going to send the Holy Spirit to empower them. Now it's the Holy Spirit. That we need. We need power, and Jesus is the one who sends the Spirit. He is the Holy Ghost baptizer. In John 16, verse 7, I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I'm going to send, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit, and you will be, according to verse 49, endued with power. From on high. The word endued speaks of being clothed with. You're going to be clothed with power from on high. You are not to go forth without the power of God clothing you. If you clothe yourself when you try to minister in the name of God, if you clothe yourself with your flesh, with your own efforts, your own wisdom, your own designs, your own words. If you clothe yourself with your own flesh, you will not have any kind of in any way shape or form success. You just won't. It requires the power of the Spirit. and the Holy Spirit is intended to bring glory to God and not the vessel. In John 16:14 Jesus said, "He shall glorify me, for he shall take of mine and shall disclose it to you. So go forth preaching and preach the gospel throughout the world but to do so you will need power in John 15:26 and 27 when the comforter has come whom I will send to you from the father even the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father he shall testify of me and you also shall bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning And so to be his witnesses requires his power, and our lives evidence his presence. That's why Jesus sent the Spirit. Someone once said, empowered by him, we have the ability to endure hardship, to rejoice in the face of suffering, and to resist living for the gratification of our flesh. It is the work and the power of the Holy Spirit that produces everlasting results. And without His power, we simply labor in our flesh. Now, how are these believers going to take the gospel throughout the world? How are they going to be able to accomplish a task? These are people who, by and large, had never even left the the borders of Israel, by and large. So how are they going to go throughout the world proclaiming this message? How are they going to be able to reach people without Without the various kinds of uh, advantages that come later, they didn't have buildings. They didn't have stadiums. They didn't have radio or TV. They didn't have social media. How are they going to do it? Well, the effect is going to be by the power of the Holy Spirit and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Listen again. When I first got saved, we never even thought. I, I was never even taught uh, or taught to depend on on media. I was not taught to depend on on all these different forms. We were supposed to go out and just share. We were supposed to take what God had given to us, and even if we didn't know that much to give that, that's what we did. We just trusted the Holy Spirit. We would pray. We would seek the Lord. We would see people. I can still remember as a brand-new believer, what did I know? Very little, if anything at all. I was lost now. I'm found. I was blind now. I see. That's about it. But I had a testimony. God had done something. And so that's how it began. We would pray, we would look at the word, and we would ask for God's filling, and we'd go out and share, and we would tell people. And some of the churches all of you are familiar with started exactly that way. Churches like, like Calvary Chapel of Downey with Jeff Johnson. Churches like Calvary Chapel, of West Covina, Golden Springs with Raul Rees. Churches like uh, Horizon Christian Fellowship, uh, Pastor Mike McIntosh for many years. A lot of churches like that. Began in that way. Our church began in that way. The Holy Spirit and the Word of God preach with conviction, and God does the work. That's how it works. That's what we're called to do. And a lot of believers today seem to have forgotten that, put a lot of emphasis on stages today, making them into almost a, an entertainment venue, a lot of emphasis on lighting and smoke, making the band into a, a group that's really more... Uh, talented, but less spiritually mature. It's just that we've seen it take place. Why? Because we're trying to attract people to to things. When I have discovered that all you have to do is is present somebody with the loveliness of Christ, and they want Him. They they don't they don't want the smoke. They don't want the loud noise. They don't want the entertainment. People want salvation. They want an answer. They want love. They want to be cared for. They want to be forgiven because their hearts are so wretched, and they know it. And when you preach about a God who loves, a God who transforms, and you do so with the power of the Holy Spirit, you see amazing things take place. You see God do tremendous things. It's absolutely, absolutely true. The Spirit is going to be with them, and the Spirit is going to be in them. And so we have this internal desire. We have a drive And we have a power that enables us to please Him. And His presence in our lives motivates us to obey Him. In 1 John 3, 24, it says, those who obey His commands live in Him, and He in them. And this is how we know that He lives in us. We know it by the Spirit He gave us. How are they going to be able to be His witnesses in a world that rejected and crucified Him? They're going to be able to do so by the power of his Holy Spirit. Now, in the book of Acts, in chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, and to the, uh, and to the end of the earth. Now, he didn't say that they're simply going to go out and witness. That's what they're going to do. They're going to preach the gospel. But I find it interesting how he said, you shall be witnesses of me. Be witnesses. In other words, your life is so transformed that it gives credibility to the message. You will be somebody that is an evidence of the gospel that you're preaching. You're going to preach a gospel message that speaks of forgiveness. You're going to speak a message that speaks of the power of the Spirit. You're going to speak a message that has transformative power Because if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You're going to be a new person preaching a message that helps people to be new in him. When my father got saved, it was just a wonderful time to see my dad saved. But later on, after he got saved, he said something to me. He said, you know, Dave. He said, you know what made me come to faith in Christ, what provoked me? And I said, what? "What?" He said, well, he said, you remember when you spoke to me the way you did? Because all of you know that I was a new believer. I was reading the Bible, and I went in and told my dad, you're going to hell. You need to get right with God. And he said, you remember when you spoke to me the way that you did? I said, yes. He said, I was sitting there looking at you, and I was thinking, I really ought to hit him. He says, but when you said, Daddy, I love you, and I don't want to go to heaven without you, he said, it made me think. I could see something happened to you. He said, Now, your sister, Madeline, he said, Well, she was good. You were bad, but she was good, and that's true. My sister, Madeline, married her first boyfriend. My sister, Madeline, didn't go out on Friday nights and Saturday nights, even as a high schooler. And later, she didn't, She would stay home. My mom and dad would have a little TV in their bedroom, and Madeline would cuddle up in between them and watch TV on a Friday and Saturday night. She was the classic good girl. And he said, you know, he said, you needed God. He said, and, and I knew I was better than you. He said, but when I looked at Madeline, I asked myself, what did she need? God used the goodness of my sister and the evilness of my life to give my, my father a perspective that they both need the same message and that my father said, I, was not, I am not as good as your sister. And so when you're preaching the gospel, your life has been transformed. Some of you will say, I don't really have a testimony. I've been a good person all my life. Well, no, you haven't. There's none good, no, not one. But you've probably been better than slugs like me. You're probably a better person than I. But God doesn't grade on the curve, now does he? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So no matter how perfect you are, no matter how perfect you can be, we know this, we're still sinful Because I can point to somebody and say, well, I'm better than them. But Jesus, if he stood next to me, could I say I'm better than him? Well, obviously, I can't. So I need a Savior just as much as the person next to me over here. And so all have sinned. And and so what happens is because your life is transformed by this message you're giving, people can hear it and even be changed themselves. And in order to do that, because the, the unspiritual man doesn't receive the 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 things of the Spirit of God, it requires the Holy Spirit to bring conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment and gives to you the ability through a transformed life and words that bring transformation to have an effect even in the face of the persecution and all that will take place. They're going to be witnesses. This is not only accomplished by their words, it's accomplished also by the way that they live out the message. And now Jesus has promised that the Spirit is going to come upon them with power. And as that happens, he's going to fill them with his love and his goodness. They're going to be his witnesses. They're going to speak the truth. They're going to live the truth of salvation. And it's been said that the most powerful witness has always been changed lives, preaching a life-changing message. So it's not location. It's not great music. It's not great programs. And it's not winning personalities in the pulpit. It's a witness of the Spirit in somebody's life. And Jesus said, you're going to go from Jerusalem through Judea to Samaria. You're going to go to the ends of the earth. You have never really been past the borders of Israel. You're going to be going out and preaching this message. And you're going to walk in the Spirit of God. And so, as a result, what we do today is we seek His presence daily. We ask for God to fill us with His presence we desire to rely on his Holy Spirit. When you wake up in the morning as a believer, what do you pray for? What do you ask the Lord for? All of us wake up with morning prayers of one form or another, and we go to bed with morning prayer. What are we praying for? I, I have a habit of saying, God, fill me with your spirit. God, help me today. God, help me to walk in your spirit because the enemy is waiting to take me down like he's ready, ready to take anyone down. Help me to walk in your spirit, Lord. May I have your peace. May I have your joy. May I, may I express your love. Fill me with your power. And that's what we need because I don't want to walk in the flesh. There's a devotional writer that I, I read. His name is A.W. Tozer. And Tozer said this. He said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, of what we do do would go go on and no one would know the difference. But if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. And so we said, you're gonna receive this, tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're clothed or endued with power from on high. And then we close with, and he led them out As far as Bethany, which is just to the outside, to the east of uh, Jerusalem, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. (laughs) Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them, carried up into heaven. They worshiped him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. What did they do? They worshiped him. What did they do? They experienced great joy. What was their practice? They were continuously in temple. And what else did they do? They they continuously praised and blessed God. And so finally, in closing, the Bible tells us, and I'll close by reading these words again in verses 19 and 20 of Mark 16, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God. That's a place of power and authority. And they went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. He went. They went out. And we'll see this because I'm going to look at this a little bit more before we close our series. But you see this very plainly in the book of Acts. They went out. And they preached everywhere, the Lord working with them. What do we need today? A fresh endowment of the Holy Spirit. There is an attack on our nation and the world that those who have eyes to see can see. The things that are basic, starting in the book of Genesis through creation to where we are right now, The things that are basic are being undermined even as I speak. Confusion has taken the place of reason. And the church has become quiet in some ways. No, I'm not saying that we're supposed to be marching around with signs and all of that. Should the Lord lead you to do that, that's up to you and him. But what is it that I believe the world is looking for right now? I I really believe this. I'll close with this thought. They're looking for truth. And of all people on the face of the earth, we have it in Jesus Christ. We have it. They want hope. We have it in Christ. They want joy. We have it in Christ. They want love. We have it in Christ. They want purpose. We have it in Christ. All we need to do is open our mouths. And if somebody tells you, you don't have the right to say that, you have the right to say that. And you ought to say that. Why? Because the enemy is trying to intimidate us, but God hasn't given us the spirit of fear. He gave us the spirit of power and of love and of a sound (laughs) mind. And we preach the gospel. Not with hatred for people. God knows we don't hate people. We preach the gospel because we love God and we love people. Christians have been maligned. We have been put into a position where we feel that we have to defend ourselves. My pastor taught us something, and I'll close with this thought. He said, well, I can defend myself, but I lose. I can lose battles, or I can trust the one who has never lost. Jesus Christ. He said, who am I going to trust? I'll trust the Lord. And that's what we do. We put our faith and trust in Christ. We ask him, God, fill me with your spirit. I want to live in a way that is different. I want people to know that there is a God and that he is on the throne of my heart. I want to know you and I want to share your love with other people because we're in the last minutes of the last seconds of the last days. And because that's true, Jesus, I want to go down. If I go down at all, I want to go down fighting in your name. So I want to remain faithful to you. I want to serve you. I will do so. So one of these days when I see you face to face, I want to hear the words, well done, my good, my faithful servant. And that's what God has called us to do. Hold fast. Seek the Lord. Love him with all your heart. He loves you walk in His Spirit, and let's see what God will do with these last days. If you'd like to learn more about Pastor David or Calvary Chapel, Chino Valley, please visit our website at calvaryccv.org. Thanks for listening, and have a great day.